0: But at the end of the day, it's a skill that you learn. I mean, none of us just pop out of our childhood with fantastic communication skills. And what communication training looks and feels like for your team, it's going to look and feel like they're, like, like they're acting, like they're being insincere. Because they're actually learning how to do something that they do every day, talk and blab in a way that's foreign and, and new to them.
1: Hi there, I'm Paul Silliman, and you're listening to the Restoration Playbook podcast by Know-How. Today, we've got Leighton Healy back for the last episode in our series on how today's leaders are winning with workers. We'll discuss how to avoid stagnation, better communicate, and how to create a net zero stress workplace. Let's dive in. If you could do me a quick favor, if we have any new listeners that are just now jumping onto the podcast, could you give just a short overview of what our new book is, Winning with Workers?
0: Absolutely. So one of the things that everybody knows, so I'll tell you about the book, something that you may not know about as a listener. So let me start by telling you something that you do know. What you do know is that trade services, field-based workforces, labor service companies, blue-collar industries, you know, pick your title they're in a labor crisis right now. They're struggling to be able to find quality staff, retain quality staff, and ultimately to be able to, you know, promote people to take on management roles. And what you're seeing across North America is owners, senior managers, just having to go like over and above the and, and do the type of work that they would have, they would love to be able to delegate down to a capable set of hands. But where are those capable set of hands? So that's what people know. What they may not know is that we wrote uh, a book that's a playbook on on how to succeed in that dynamic. And the book is called Winning with Workers. It's based on eight principles, uh, proven principles that we have uh, studied and have, there you go, uh, that have have come out of uh, the research that we've done. No one has done more research on the property restoration industry than we have. We understand what keeps the workforce, um, what keeps it moving, what are, what are its obstacles. And so Winning with Workers is essentially a book where we have identified eight principles that are necessary to be able to attract, retain, and win. Uh, when I say win, I mean achieve productive, profitable, uh, and and value creating experiences uh, for this workforce and through this workforce. It's a book that we've made available for free online, winningwithworkers.com pretty easy to remember. You can get a copy and for those who are like me and you like to kind of write in the edges you can go to amazon.com winningwithworkers and you can get a copy there um, but uh, but check out the e-copy first because it's it's really good and um, you know, you got other things to spend your money on.
1: Now Layton, you know, I went to public school, so our next principle we're diving into, you're going to have to explain exactly what we're talking about. So we're talking about resisting operational entropy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That it, what is that? First off, <laughs> am I saying it right? And then, you know, what do people need to know about it?
0: Yeah, resisting operational entropy is um you know, it, it's uh, by design is kind of a let's call it a bit of a, a, a eyebrow raising principle title. But uh let's just talk about what, what entropy is essentially. So entropy, you know, back in the day, um, a French philosopher, uh, everyone was kind of a philosopher. If you were like a man of science, you're a philosopher, right? Um, but but uh funny enough, you know, even if you graduate you know, university and you're like a, like a software engineer, you like, you graduate with a, with a, with like a doctorate in philosophy. It's kind of random, but anyways, so he's a French philosopher. Think about, you know, kind of like early 17th century. And, uh, and he came up with this theory that we now call entropy. And really all he was doing is he was observing that, that, that systems without um, the constant application of some force or tension will devolve into chaos right and uh and really we see that around us so oftentimes people may have heard of entropy in like a physics class or a chemistry class but really what we're talking about paul is the fact that um uh all things in a sense kind of move to a state of disarray and chaos unless you bring management and leadership to the table and uh And so one of the things that I would say is can be the most challenging and taxing element of being a great business owner and being a great manager or supervisor is the fact that things move towards disorder unless they are consistently um, well stewarded. And uh, that's why... Think about, uh, um, you know, our, our muscles. Think about um, sports teams. And there's a reason why we practice. There's a reason why we exercise. There's a reason why, you know, we try to bring care and attention to our, our homes is because it just seems like left to their own devices, things just become chaotic and stressful and disorderly. And so companies, especially companies in, I would say, very, um unpredictable industries like property restoration they have to commit to a principle if they want to appeal to the to the modern workforce they have to commit to a principle of saying we we say resist operational entropy but really what we're saying in that is you have to commit to a level of rigor intentionality and operational excellence that manifests itself in in sweating the details and maintaining rhythms and rituals and and Think of it as structure that allows your organization, your company, to grow um, in a way that is not just organic and random, but it's uh, but it's but it's planned and it's intentional. Um, you know, no, no, you know, a person has to know. Look, look no further than uh, than my backyard right now, Paul. You know, I, I'm kind of a hobby hobby gardener. And uh, my, my, my year has been, you know, particularly um, uh, fulsome um, this year. And uh, normally, you know, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty active pruner of uh, tomatoes and pruner of uh, things like squash and eggplant, you know, but I haven't got back there. And it's just like totally out of control, right? It's just totally out of control. And the fact of the matter is, is like all things in life, is that for things to be fruitful and productive, and to maximize productivity, they require care and attention. And if left to their own devices, if you have a boss who um, just just doesn't really give himself to the finance side of the business or um, the HR side of the business or creating operational tension in times where it's not chaotic, or you have a company that you know they're kind of fair weather companies, meaning when things are when things are crazy every Everything gets more more intense, and when things aren't crazy, they kind of just kind of let the let the workers um in peacetime just just kind of you know loosen their belts and and sit around i mean that's what we're talking about here it's about understanding that great organizations work very hard every day to to keep the chaos at bay
1: no, that makes perfect sense. I'm glad you were able to explain that to me, and so I'm curious. You know, because restoration is chaos, but Mm -hmm. it is something you're like you mentioned, you're always flexing muscles. It's it's about the process Mm -hmm. of getting there. It's always growing and changing. So I'm curious your opinion. Mm -hmm. So how do you think that impacts, you know, the hiring process of new workers?
0: Well, um, workers need only to step inside your building um, or your facility or your office. To recognize what you value right and uh and and they can tell very very clearly is this an organization that uh where i'm gonna be stressed uh is this an organization where honestly, I can get away with a lot because like look at this place this place is a mess, right, or is this a place where I'm gonna have to really tuck in my shirt because it's a pretty straight laced place right? And um, like, I thought this organized, I thought this, I thought these people like responded to tornadoes and, and hurricanes. Like, you know, I thought I'd be like rolling into some uh, kind of just, you know, just, just, you know, wild man, you know, um, pl- but in but actually this is, you know, this is a, this is a pretty finely tuned operation. And and you know examples come to mind as you know I think a common visual would be like uh, you know like I don't know the military or working on an aircraft carrier or something like that like there's just so many moving parts on an aircraft carrier. Not that I have any experience working on an aircraft carrier, but I've I've watched some movies right, and I can appreciate the fact that there's just so much there's so much opportunity for chaos, and yet there is a culture of precision and excellence and and ownership. And, uh, and all of that goes into, um, creating, I think, uh, just frankly, just, just a visual tour for a new worker where some people who, who just do not value that level of professionalism are going to say, I'm not going to get away with anything here. I'm not applying or I'm, I'm, I'm out after this interview, whereas other people um, who, who you know, have been maybe trying to think about getting into into the trades. You know, one of the things we looked at in one of our last studies, Paul, is that uh, you know, uh, nearly 60 percent, nearly 60 percent of new entrants into the the property restoration industry came from industries that had nothing to do with general construction. So, meaning property restoration was their first foray into uh, a, a a job site based, you know, take use a tool based industry. so meaning that they've been working in industries where they probably wanted to get outside, they probably wanted to get on a job site. And they probably had a kind of an idea in mind of what that looked like. And so when they show up, and they see like, this is an organization that is well run, um, it's going to appeal to them. And it's going to say, this is a place where where people, uh, you know, take their work, and they take themselves seriously. And I, I would really love to be part of this. And so to answer your question, um, uh, I think that it, it appeals to the right candidates and it repeals uh, the wrong or repels would be the right term, I suppose. No, and that
1: <clears throat> I think that's extremely important because, like you mentioned, Restoration. It's a somewhat form of chaos day to day. It's not something that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to the store and buying a loaf of bread. This is, you know, the Mm -hmm. ceilings have collapsed, the roof caved in. There's a lot of moving parts, but also, you know, how do you find that calm in the chaos? So Mm -hmm. one thing I see though is you know, we know it's chaotic, but does that mean a chaotic workplace is unavoidable?
0: Well, I think that, um, uh, it's really what you do with chaos. That matters, and um you know no question um like when you think about when, you, when when you when you just reverse engineer you know why something went off the rails or you, or you or you think about um just the unpredictability of mother nature and a storm event or whatnot um you know what it brings to mind is and i think I think it was Napoleon Bonaparte that was attributed with it, but I'm sure someone else said it, but um you know there's an old adage that says, you know no plan. No plan survives contact with the enemy, right? And uh, and what he's saying in that is, you can do all the planning you want, but when you hit, you know, warfare, uh, the plan goes out the window, and you just you just need want to survive. But 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 what what I think was Napoleon who said is he said, you know, really, it's not the plan, it's the planning that matters, and it's it's the rigor and the thought and and everything that goes into the the discipline of. Of of organizational thought and organizational rhythms, and it's those organizational thought and rhythms that become kind of like the the sinew and the connective tissue of the parts of your business that allow you to kind of go into and come out of those storms um, and do well. It's you know no different than a person um, who finds himself in a situation where they have to run and sprint to the bus or catch up with something. Your your level of operational tension is much like your stamina. So, yeah. So, Paul, is chaos avoidable? Sometimes no. But if you are a company that has established operational tension and you resist entropy when you can, I would say that you have operational stamina, meaning that even when things are chaotic, you can you can bounce back, catch your breath quick, and get back to order much faster than other companies. What
1: are mm-hmm. some steps you know, management owners can take to build those tight systems and rituals and really give their workers order in the chaos?
0: You know, Paul, I would say um, number one, distinguish on your team between builders and maintainers. Some people are better systems builders than they are systems followers, right? A lot of times um, the gunslingers that got the business going are just not very process oriented you know, but they can tell you how it's supposed to get done. And so by distinguishing who are the builders and who are the maintainers in your company, it really helps, I think, clarify things. So rather than, you know, getting, um, you know, to try to kind of corral the, the, the founder or the boss or the, you know, or the, Mitigation manager, who you know who kind of always shoots from the hip into a very rigid process, sometimes you just identify them as a builder and then you pair them with a maintainer or or a team of maintainers, people who are just very good at executing on a defined plan. And so I would say first, understand who are your builders, who are your maintainers, and uh, don't freak out your maintainers and turn them into builders, and sometimes you got to be careful how you pigeonhole your builders into into making the maintainers if that makes sense. Um you know the second thing is and again you know in the spirit of like adages and like sayings that that get kicked around our society control what you can and, and 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 there are there are a lot of things that you can control when it comes to reducing the amount of operational chaos for example right um a person says well i can't control when a storm blows in yeah but you can control whether you let your guys get away with leaving your work vehicles as a disaster and a garbage bin on wheels right? Like you can, you can control that, right? And you control it by simply walking into the shop and just getting everyone together with a box of cleaning supplies and say, Hey, I know that up until now, I've been a little loosey goosey on keeping our vehicles clean, but going forward, a new expectation that I'm establishing is that at the end of every shift, your vehicle has to be spotless. And I expect you to take pride in, in the condition of your vehicle, in the orderliness of your vehicle, how well stocked it is for the next shift or the next guy or the next time you hop in. And, uh, and so everyone here, that's going to be a new expectation and it's going to influence where they put the cheeseburger wrappers because they know it's going to create more work for them when they want to get home at the end of the day. And it's going to influence, you know, whether they wipe their shoes off before they hop into their truck, it's going to influence whether they just toss the equipment in in the van or they actually take some time to like wrap things up properly. Because they understand that it's a new expectation, so control. It's an example of control what you can, not what you can't. And uh, and then, like I said um, before, is that I do think there's something to you know the product of all of the of the tension that you 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 try to apply with with attention to scheduling, you know, maintaining systems, using tools like know-how to to, to establish a playbook that gives your staff um, you know a sense of uh, a sense of direction in the, in 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 those crazy moments. They're not going to avoid the chaos, but I do think it'll, it'll, no question, it'll help your team to be able to work and play better together through the chaos. And then when you come back, no question, you're going to bounce back faster than, than your competitors because you're going to have that operational stamina. That's the fruit of um, resisting operational entropy.
1: We'll be back with Layton in a moment, but first, a word on know-how. KnowHow is an intuitive,
0: mobile-first application
1: designed to rapidly onboard new hires, upskill staff, and provide on-demand expert guidance for whatever task is next. Home to your company's proven methods, KnowHow ensures everyone has the skills they need to get the job done right. With time-saving features that make it a breeze for management to build, maintain, and translate standard operating procedures. It's time to ditch your outdated Operation Binders and dated, difficult-to-search systems. With know-how in their pocket, your staff have the how-to they need wherever the day takes them. Our new process creator makes drafting new SOPs faster than ever, helping you customize, edit, and share your time-tested methods and processes with ease. And back to Leighton. The -hmm. next chapter and principle we have is, you know, becoming communication athletes. In the book, Mm -hmm. it states that 24% of Gen Z workers wish they had a better communication with their managers. I personally Mm -hmm. wish the same thing when I was out in the field. I can tell you how many times I've gone to the job, followed it to a T just to say, well, why'd you do that? I would have done that i can 't read minds i I have no idea what you said you've never documented i I'm I went off what i you showed me one time you know, and the question I really want to ask, but you know for the owners and managers listening, what is the first step you would recommend to get a pulse check in on the company and to start improving the business communication
0: Well, I think the very first thing I would do is <laughs> i would i would uh, I would probably have all of my supervisors, project managers and, 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 owners, uh, I would, I would send them home on a weekend and say, your, your, your job this weekend is to get two really good sleeps. Um, and I might mean, that, that might sound really silly, but so much of the communication, um, uh, that, uh, that is toxic and unhealthy and contributes to workers quitting and, and, and cre- creates so much just chaos in the industry. Is is the byproduct of just people who are exhausted, um, fatigued, um, frustrated, and uh, and and you just put all those people together, and they step on each other's toes, and they say insig- in, in, insensitive things, and they, and and their tone is off, and and you know, and they're too, they're just totally adrenalized, or they're running on caffeine, and so, I mean, first thing I would do is I'd say, hey, I read this book, Winning with Workers, principle a principle that really resonated with me was, um, become communication athletes. I want to start with that. (laughs) Don't just sit down with your team and say, we're going to work on our communication skills, send them home, let them have a good rest. And then when they're fresh, come in and say, Hey, we're going to start investing and taking it very seriously. Uh, take a very serious look at how we communicate. So that's the very first thing I would do is, pose that conversation to to well-rested minds um, because it's going to push on them in a very personal way because it's going to ask them to be able to be very intentional about something that they've been probably pretty loose about. Now,
1: Layton, anybody that's heard you speak knows that this is something that you excel in. The book brings up how to deliver and receive communication in a healthy way. What are some of those most common mistakes that you feel people in these areas and, or people are having in these areas and how can they be avoided?
0: So I think that the best way to understand the mistake, let's call it the cost of bad communication is, is just to look online at Google reviews or online reviews or, or, you know, or, um, um, you know, you, you know, insert online review, uh, board. Well, um, we did a study, and we extended that study to ten thousand. We 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 did a we did a sentiment analysis of ten thousand online uh, reviews of customer uh, customer reviews for restoration companies across all U.S. states, and uh, to try to understand, you know, what ultimately is the result of of or, or what what's behind. A customer taking to a keyboard and just just punishing a restoration company for for bad behavior and what we identified is that there are six common reasons why a company will receive a one-star review and it's very expensive we've done the math you know we can get into that about how much how much does it actually cost a restoration company when they get a one-star review um, but the number one reason um, why restoration companies get one-star reviews is because of bad communication and people will say, um, well, you know, we didn't call them back. Yeah, there's, you know, those are reasons. Um, ah, uh, we got busy and we forgot to give them an update that comes up, but I'll tell you what comes up just as often, Paul, is customers saying the work turned out great. They did a good job. Get my photo albums back together. My house doesn't stink like smoke anymore. It's got this nice lavender scent, but the way that they talk to each other, man, I didn't even want to have my kids on the front lawn when I hear that supervisor show up. The way I'd hear them bark orders at each other, the way I heard them talk about those subcontractors when they weren't here, man, if that's how they treat each other, how do they treat my stuff, right? And um, and so, you know, there's a lot to that. And and uh, that's not just, you know, just, just some passing um, example. I mean, you know, 10,000 online reviews is a lot of freaking reviews and uh, and so you can really arrive at some common denominators there and uh, no question um, uh, communication is is, uh, is is an area where a lot of companies if they made an investment there they'd see an outsized return so uh, so let's talk about that a little bit you know when, when it comes to improving your communication I know that you can improve communication why because Years ago, when I started my first construction company, and, and I was canvassing door-to-door trying to get people to, you know, uh, get this 18-year-old, give this 18-year-old kid a, a contract to build a garage for them or something like that, the most common advice and the most common feedback that I got was, come again, I can't hear you, and... and and i i had a tendency to mumble and and speak un i, I was you know i wasn't clear i was soft spoken i was shy and nervous and uh and uh i'm sure there's times where i could still get that feedback but but uh i have had to learn how to communicate? I've had to learn uh, how to how to uh, do basic things like how to enunciate. I've learned. I've had to learn how to be conscious of what my body language is communicating in a conversation. I've had to learn how to read uh, the room and understand um, when a person is um, perhaps feeling a certain way. And uh, and some people call it EQ. People call it. Some people call it SQ. Social, you know, intelligent quotient. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a skill that you learn. I mean, none of us just pop out of our childhood with fantastic communication skills. Um, And what communication training looks and feels like for your team, it's going to look and feel like they're like, like they're acting like they're being insincere because they're actually learning how to do something that they do every day, talk and blab in a way that's foreign and and new to them. But that's how you, that's how you, you know, we wouldn't think twice about, uh, you know, feeling a little weird and awkward when we learn a new sport or, learn a new um you know dance or language and we wouldn't think twice about just feeling a little awkward being a little clumsy but when we think about learning how to talk and communicate and listen and and project um you know our 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 tone and our emotions in a more professional manner you know we get all out of sorts and and we think that well you know i mean you know i got this far talking like this like why do i need to work on this you say because you create chaos in your life in the lives of others, so it's a learned skill. And and hey, if you want, I we can we can go through a, a laundry list of very tactical things that you can do to be a, a better communicator if, if you want, and and to bring um and and to help your team become communication athletes. So you know, you let me know if, if we should get into that.
1: You know, you know, I think we could hit a couple points on that because I actually was on a webinar today where we were talking about the importance of your tone, answering the phone in restoration, how that mm-hmm. first call sets a call up for success. You know, if you're answering a call saying, thanks for calling XYZ, what can I do for you? <laughs> Compared to, thank you for calling us, how can I serve you today? In mm-hmm. giving empathy, setting yourself, but just the way you talk, that is a small thing that people don't even think about. Are you converting right. those leads? And I'd love to get a couple of quick points for you on some ways that you can really drive that forward
0: well let's 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 talk about some some communication best practices. Um, and I think there's a lot there's a lot of angles, right? I mean, uh, many people in this industry, uh, English isn't the first language that they grew up speaking, and so um there's there's a lot of directions we can go, but let's just let's just get down to some of the fundamentals. Very little of the message that you send to somebody has anything to do with the words that you choose to say. As little as twenty percent of communication is verbal the vast majority is is nonverbal meaning that it it has a lot more to do with the tone that you use the body language that you use um even the the uh, inflections the timing um uh, all of those things have have just as much if not more uh influence uh over someone than uh than than the actual words that you that you use i mean a, a simple example if everyone you know listening to this um was to just picture in their mind's eye, um, someone, um, you know, uh, behind them, um, just, just saying something like, um, you know, uh, stop doing that, stop doing that. You know, you'd immediately think that, that they're being accosted or, or someone's doing something, um, wrong to them. But if you turned around and, and, uh, I don't know, uh, someone that they loved and trusted was, you know, I don't know, maybe tickling them or teasing them and they were just teasing back you know, because you can't see what's going on, you can't see that their facial expressions are actually very positive and animated. You can completely misinterpret, um, you know, the, the, the conversation, um, you know, and, and emojis, you know, are not sufficient. Right. And, uh, and so when a person understands that really the, 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 the cost of miscommunication, the cost of poor communication, the, the downstream effects of just, I would say just, um Careless communication you you recognize that um, that ensuring that that what I'm trying to say comes across as accurately and as sincerely as possible is is super important. And so organizations recognize that when you're having important conversations that deal with high stress um, or critical high stakes topics, rather than retreating into an email or a text message um, and thinking that that's some layer of security is firms that are world- class recognize that the conversation has just become high stakes okay this matters way more to this employee than I thought it did or this is this is there's there is there's a lot more stress uh, in in this conversation than I thought or that conversation is that, that com- customer was was way more attached to those those items that we've misplaced than I thought they were. Rather than jumping into an email, rather than jumping into a text message conversation or writing a letter, recognizing that the accuracy of the communication that we have just got real. And then the question is, is, Practically speaking, how can we make sure that, that we are maximizing the, the amount of communication that we can have? So face-to-face is best because that's the best way for you to be able to communicate the sincerity of your concern, um, the, 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 the honesty of your willingness to do something about it because they can see it. They can see it in your body language. They can see it in your facial expressions. They can hear it in your tone. Um, you know, They can see it with your gestures. You just can't get that in an email. Similarly, um, you know, um, uh, when a person is expressing praise or encouragement, it's so easy to just text somebody or send them a thumbs up emoji or whatnot. But again, if the goal is to retain the person, if the goal is to accelerate the person, then, then, then organizations that are communication athletes, and when I mean athlete, I mean someone, when we think of an athlete, what's the difference between an athlete and just a hobbyist? Intentionality. Focus on winning. You know, these are people who understand that it's game day right? And so people who apply that same thinking to how they work and how they communicate, what they do is that they say, how do I maximize the impact of this communication? And so sometimes it's about providing candid feedback to a worker where a behavior or a, or a performance matter has to change. Again, what is going to have the, the most impact? And it's going to be when they, when that person can receive you know, the maximum amount of accuracy of communication. And so we start thinking about how do I do whatever I can do to, to make that conversation um, as, as impactful as possible. And so, um, so those are, hopefully those are some practical examples. Um, another practical example is to understand that there are four communication styles and helping your team to understand the difference, especially when it comes to resolving conflict and dealing with stressful situations, can really help them to be more effective and and give them a north star to to look towards to model their conversation after so as an example, conversation styles are are generally um, m- marked by what we'd say is who's being respected at this moment? who's being respected? So people have maybe heard of terms like passive, passive aggressive, aggressive or assertive communication. so passive, passive aggressive um, or assertive communication. And so what we're talking about there is communication that 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 is is has an imbalance of respect. so people who have a preference to speak in a very passive manner. Those are individuals who might say something where they never really stick up for themselves. You might consider them as kind of a doormat. Um, in some industries, you might say that they're a pleaser. They might be someone who seems to be very, very oriented around customer service. But in reality, what, what they're doing is they're they're deciding that I'm really not that worthy of respect. In this moment, the other is worthy of respect, and so whatever is going to make them happy um, I will sacrifice my own respect, my own self-respect, for them. Passive aggressiveness, passive aggressiveness, is really about again a complete imbalance of respect. Passive aggressive, I often refer to as like punching someone through a pillow, right? Like, are you upset right now? I don't know. Should I be? Right? It's just it's like, it's, it's, it's this cloaked aggression, and it's so common. I you know I live in Canada, and passive aggressiveness is a, is a, is a you know it's a it's an unfortunate Canadian characteristic. Um, and then you have aggressiveness, and uh, and if we, you know if we had to you know kind of pick what side of a of of a com- communication style, I would say you know culturally, um, you'd probably think of a you know may, maybe an American citizen as someone who maybe is oriented towards more of that aggressive style, and again aggressive style communication also it, you think that what I'm doing is I'm saying no, I have to be respected here, and you will be disrespected here. But in reality, aggressive communication is actually disrespectful to both parties, right? By, by taking a, an aggressive and a commanding approach to a situation, I mean, in, re- in reality, you're being quite disrespectful to yourself because, again, you're, 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 you're not in any way um, painting yourself in a good light. So in professional environments, what we want to move towards is an assertive style of communication, uh, a style of communication that balances respect. You know, an assertive person recognizes that the person I'm speaking to, um, I would say, has has innate worth. And that individual is worth respect. And I'm worth respect as well. And so a person that takes an assertive communication style where they're able to look at someone and say, I understand that you're disappointed and you're frustrated. You have good reason to believe, uh, you have good reason for that. But you need to understand that up until this point, I was not aware that this was something that you were concerned about and uh and i'm willing to take you through um, a list of things that we can do to resolve this situation but i just want to let you know that the way forward is in no way going to be improved by the language that you're using right now the expletives that you're throwing at my team so i'm here to help i recognize we've made it a mistake but the shortest distance between where we are now and where we need to be is that you and i need to find a, a more respectful way of communicating so that we can get things back on track and get your home back together again, I'm not a doormat, I'm not apologizing for everything i'm 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 admitting what I did wrong, but ultimately I'm choosing an assertive style where i I give respect and honor to that customer and I give respect and honor to myself. Does that make sense?
1: No, that makes a tremendous amount of sense, and I'm glad you dove into that because it's something I've seen before I've been part of, and people just like you I think you mentioned earlier oh that's just how it is that's just how we communicate which it's not successful for anyone and you know a perfect segue on that is you know changing the way employees communicate can be a bit of a challenge especially if you have those different ways of communicating you know if you have those workers that are maybe set in their ways or resistant to change you know, how would you go about, you know, recommending changing that? Or if you're experiencing pushback to the conversation of changing that, you know, what's a, what's a couple of tactical ways that you can have that conversation?
0: Well, let's just, let's, let's make, let's bring some assumptions to the conversation and some assumptions to this scenario that we're building. So we're creating a, a scenario in which we assume that or we we want to make a commitment to becoming communication athletes, adopting this principle that know-how seems to think is is important to win with workers. And so you're past that point. And now you want to bring that principle to bear within a workforce that hasn't read the book, um, hasn't had this, you know, aha moment that this would, would be valuable. And now you have to get them on board. And you you just know, you can already picture the person in your mind who's going to give you resistance and pushback. Okay. So the very first thing that I would say is that um, you need to understand how to have what what I often refer to as going forward moments, right? And going forward moments are moments that really only leaders and and uh, and people of authority can can have. And what that sounds like is the ability to walk into a room, walk into a conversation, and say, "Look, um, I've made a decision that we're going to uh, we're going to make some changes, and and, and we're going to make some investments in in how we communicate with each other with our with our customers." And, uh, and I think it's going to have a significant impact in our ability to be a world-class organization. I know that up until this point, um, I'll be the first to say, I've said some pretty careless things. Um, I've said some things that are downright inappropriate. Um, I've said some things about customers that uh, uh, if they had been present, they probably wouldn't be our customers anymore. Um, I've made some jokes that uh, were totally not appropriate. And I've snapped at some people in this room uh, and I'm, I'm not proud of that. But going forward, right? But going mm-hmm. forward, I've made a decision that um, uh, we are going to set a target and set a goal of becoming world-class communicators because we think that that is going to really, number one, it's going to set us apart in the market. Number two, it's going to create um, an environment that is life-giving and not life-sucking. Um, I think it's also going to re- eliminate a lot of the stress that that creates some of the most the um, uh, uh, satisfying elements of of our work, and I think when it's all said and done, it's going to allow us to uh, attract uh, world class team members, and and it might um, help us to be able to filter out some people where, you know, maybe this isn't the right place for them anymore. And so again, it's it's being able to have those going forward moments, right? Those conversations that that really, you know, a new technician just can't stand up and say. On, on a you know they just can't stand on 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 top of a you know a pack out crate and say, hear me, we should get better at communication so this is no question it, it, it starts with a leader being able to have um, a going forward moment. The second thing is that um, anytime you have something that is so I would say central like communication uh, that comes into the crosshairs of change um, it requires, Uh, leadership and management to, to, to adopt it, to change it and to role model it. And, uh, you know, especially when you've had staff that have worked with you for a while, they've, they've grown accustomed to how you react to certain situations. They've grown accustomed to how you um, respond to um, different uh, scenarios. And, and, and they know, they know when you go off, they know when you get mad. um, They know the, the, the types of people that you like to, to pick on. And so when they come to those crossroads, those, those, those moments where you've, you've so often turned left, meaning communicate in, a, in, a, in an unhealthy manner, and you consciously tr- turn right. You know, you, you, you choose to, to actually not disrespect that person behind their back. You choose to take a breath and, uh, and, and not say something inappropriate or curse or swear or, um, you know, bang your fist or um, scowl but you actually go in a different direction it's actually very disarming for staff and they'll leave a meeting and they'll say well that was different right like normally Sheila gets piping hot but
1: what what's what's wrong with pedro that, that what, going, is he sick is something going on
0: yeah like is, i mean his you know is he is he one of those meditators now you know like i mean you know what i'm saying like it's just like, does he do smoothies? Like, what's going on here, right? And um, at the end of the day, it's very disarming. And, 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 it, and when you practice what you preach when it comes to communication, and you're not always going to get it right, and so you, you learn how to apologize, and, and you learn how to sincerely apologize. And like we talked about earlier about communication, you don't apologize in some gutless text message. You know, you apologize face-to-face like an adult. Um, people will, will realize that something is afoot, right like there there is really um, a commitment here to change the way we communicate and um, so the first thing is learn to have going forward moments the second one is leadership and management need to actually role model it Um, and they need to role model it not just with the with the with the staff with the front line staff but they need to learn how to role model it with each other so often managers and senior leaders they become so comfortable and accustomed they've gone through so many battles together that you know they, they just extend each other so many social graces that they wouldn't extend to, to someone else. Um, and you need to, 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 to raise your vision and your bar for each other and call each other to a higher level of communication and give each other permission to call you out and say, you know, when the meeting's done, say, you know, Hey Mike, you want to stay back? Hey Mike, we've been working together for a long time, man. And Hey, we struck hands together and said, we're going to do a better job communicating. And, uh, I thought the way that you really went off on Mark there was, I don't think that reflects what you and I have committed ourselves to. So, hey, this isn't comfortable for me to bring up, but Mark, I I I think you should go apologize to Mark, and I think that we should try better next meeting. And you know what? They might say screw you, but they'll go home and they'll think about it, right? And hopefully, if you got the right partners, if you got the right people, um, and you're doing your part they'll say you know what it took a lot of guts to say that and i talked to mark and he said no big deal but i know it was a big deal and uh, i'm gonna work on that and you know what it makes a difference
1: nothing says your team culture is where it should be when it polices itself and that's not just top Mm -hmm. down that's all the way through Mm -hmm. the organization when you can hold your own team accountable and let that let them be able to bring up those conversations man mm-hmm. you've you've set something up for success, that's for sure,
0: mhm, yeah, so at the end of the day, um here's what we know. What we know is that um few things um are more telling of what your company produces, like like online reviews, and we know from looking at thousands and thousands and thousands of reviews and bad ones, and some of them are really bad um but when you look at the common denominators. That that I mean, people are busy. People, listeners, busy. Paul, you're busy, right? Customers, they're busy, right? Um, and their life is super busy. Why? Because their home just got destroyed. Their commercial business just got destroyed, right? So these are busy, stressed out people, and yet they took time to like pull out their keyboard, figure out how to, you know, log into their Gmail account again, and figure out how to leave a review, and and just, just hammer a company, and so you take. 10,000 of those situations. And you say, so what are, what are the most common reasons why people take to their keyboards? And it's because, um, it's because of companies that just do not place a lot of value and emphasis on being world-class at communicating. And there's a lot of angles to that. Um, but we believe that, um, and we've seen it because we get to work with, with, tremendous world-class companies in this industry but we've what we've seen is that the companies who commit themselves to becoming communication athletes with all of the connotations that are associated with an athlete you know to be communication athletes they are winning with the workforce they are attracting great staff they are they are they are pushing out people who just want no part of that you know you know girl scout boy scout environment and uh and they're experiencing more health and vitality uh, in their workforce. Um, they're finding that, um, that 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 the skills and the commitments that they're making to communication they're taking home, and they're they're improving the interactions and the interpersonal relationships, uh, the inter- interpersonal rela- uh, interactions uh, in their home life and with their friends, and uh, and they're experiencing fruit um, in in relationships that that aren't part of their their work experience, and that is when people have a light bulb go off and uh and then 3 years later 5 years later they interact with someone who who hasn't really talked with them much since they've gone through this transformation and they say whoa you sound different um you 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 talk kind of different you sound like like a you sound like an adult right they sound like a sound like a like a executive you know and they say oh uh, hmm, you know and uh and you, so it, it happens so gradually over time that as you invest in your team becoming excellent at communication, it just sneaks up on you, and then one day someone comes in and they say, "Your team they are excellent communicators." and you say, "Oh, well, thank you, we've been working on that, and uh I appreciate that. you know that's what workers want people want to, people want to work in that work environment
1: absolutely." Leighton, this has been absolutely fantastic. You know, hopefully the listeners are able to take these just golden nuggets away and, you know, go put this in, in action. Go take some of these steps. That's why we put these principles together in this book. Go take them. Implement them in your workforce. You know, this is what top restoration companies are doing. And, you know, it, we're seeing a lot of fruits of their labor from it as well. Um, Leighton I really appreciate your time you know anyone looking to get a copy of the free book definitely go to winningwithworkers.com you can get a free copy of it and if you need a hardback copy it is on Amazon but definitely winningwithworkers.com Leighton thank you so much for your time today you're welcome Paul Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're hungry for more insights about the restoration industry, feel free to check out our past episodes or head to tryknowhow.com resources for more data-driven insights from the KnowHow research team. And that's a wrap to season one of the Restoration Playbook podcast. Thanks to everyone who joined us this season, whether you're a guest of the pod or a listener tuning in, it was great having you. And we hope you took a little know-how away with you, wishing all of you a happy holiday season and all the best to come in 2024. Take care.